Psalm 143, it's good to be in the Lord's house. We'll take just a second and uh, thank you for being here and uh, entering into worship with us. And I'm grateful for the goodness of God in these days. Thank you for the messages this morning. And uh, Brother Daniel, uh, just keep the lid down on the toilet, man, and you won't have any danger of knocking those toothbrushes down in there. Hey, fool me once. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. But uh, anyway, I was thinking of preaching about 62 points this morning. And uh, but then I got to thinking, man, they've heard three messages and I am badly outnumbered, so we'll keep it a little shorter than that. Uh, Psalm 143, I'm thankful for the direction of the service today. It seems that the Lord is just uh, organizing and orchestrating all of our thoughts together. And uh, we'll read this entire psalm. Psalm 143, a psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. And enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul, he hath smitten my life down to the ground, he hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me, my heart within me is desolate, I remember the days of old, I meditate on all thy works, I muse on the work of thy hands, I stretch forth my hands unto thee, my soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land, Selah, hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit faileth, hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Calls me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. Isn't that a precious thought right there? For in thee do I trust. Calls me to know the way wherein I should walk. For I lift up my soul unto thee. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake, for thy righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble, and of thy mercy cut off mine enemies, and destroy all them that afflict my soul, for I am thy servant. Father, thank you for the good word of God today. Thank you for your many blessings upon us, the reminders, uh, even in the song we've just heard of so many of your provisions, and uh, Lord... You've never blessed us so that our blessings would distract us from you. And I pray you forgive us when they do. I pray you'll touch our hearts through your word. I pray that you will work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. God, give us holy longings after you today that we might run to you for them to be fulfilled. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to preach out of this psalm this morning on the thought... High thoughts and holy desires. Now our heading is simply a psalm of David. David is the writer of many of our psalms and uh, so many 
In fact, that he was given the title of the sweet psalmist of Israel in 2 Samuel 23. And uh, if you're like me, uh, somebody said, I, I don't remember who it was, but that the psalms are often neglected. Uh, I don't fall into that category. I love the psalms. And uh, they minister to my heart. And I don't have to look very far when I'm in a low place. To find a psalm when David was also in a low place and found help from his God. And uh, if I'm uh, up on one of the higher places or one of the peaks, I can find some of those also in the psalms. And I will tell you, in many dark seasons of my Christian life, the psalms have ministered to my heart. They are precious to my soul. And uh, you'll understand as you read them and as you go through them and God guides your steps to them from time to time that there's a reason he refers to David as the sweet psalmist of Israel for these songs are sweet to our souls. And a very understandable title, but a lot of the psalms, particularly the one in front of us, uh, really the content of the song uh, shows us how appropriate another title is that was given to David. And that is the title of a man after God's own heart, or a man after his uh, own heart. And uh, in this song, as well as so many others, we read uh, great words of longing, of uh, intense longing, intense pursuit after God, and an intense seeking after the heart of God. And I think that really is what is implied by that title, a man after mine own heart. Yeah. Uh, David had the nature of his father Adam. You understand that. He was born with a wicked and a depraved heart that was desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, just like me and just like you. Amen. But there was a day when the God of heaven became the shepherd of the little shepherd boy. Amen. And from that day forward, just as uh, somewhat at least in the life of every one of God's people, we now have a heart that longs what? After the heart of God. Yes. David was not perfect. His heart was not always in tune with the God of heaven. A lot of his steps were not steps following after the heart of God. And though he could say, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake, he could not boast that his steps always followed the leadership of God. But he did have an intense longing to know better the heart of God and to walk more in His steps. And in this psalm we see that a seeking after the heart of God. This psalm is considered to be one of what, what I'm told are seven penitent psalms. Now I know there are some 15 or so songs of degrees, and I know that because they're titled songs of degrees in the Bible. And as we've heard from Brother Gillum this week, I know there's, uh, what did he say, six? He preached on uh, five of the Mictom Psalms. And I don't know anything about there being seven penitent Psalms. I know there are some, and this is not one of them. I don't feel a need to complete some number and say, yeah, we've got to have seven. Let's look through and find one that fits the bill. Spurgeon said about this, he hardly knew why this should be called a penitent psalm. 
In fact, I find it to have very little in common with some of the other penitent psalms, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 130. Those have been sweet psalms to my soul when I've been under the chastening hand of God and needed to repent. I've read those and been helped, but not this one. I would call it maybe more a petitioning psalm or a pursuing psalm. I thought about this and thought maybe the best title for it would be a pensive psalm. It is a psalm of deep thoughts, a psalm of contemplation upon God. It is a song of high thoughts and holy desires. High thoughts of God and holy desires towards God. It is a song of progression in its entirety. It begins with a heart that is troubled. That's a low place. And then it moves to higher thoughts, thoughts of God. And then it moves beyond just higher thoughts unto a holy thirst for the living God of glory. Notice with me, number one, a heart that is troubled. We see it in the beginning of the psalm. In fact, throughout the psalm, his state is expressed multiple times to us. He is said to be overwhelmed. His spirit is overwhelmed within him. Verse number four. His heart is desolate. The word overwhelmed, it means to shroud or clothe. It is, uh, I was surprised to see this, but it is a word that is uh, connected to another word meaning a cloak or an over tunic. Now, we, we don't use the word over tunic a whole lot in our day. And, and uh, in fact, please forgive me, but the only time I even think of the word tunic, I think of that guy on night at the museum too that was wearing a dress and he kept calling it a tunic, I believe. <laughs> and uh, that's the only time I think of it. But consider an overcoat. And that is the picture of the word. And, and going back to verse number three, he speaks of the enemies of his soul. They persecuted his soul. They had smitten his life down to the ground. And he said his enemies had made him to dwell in darkness. The picture behind him being overwhelmed and his spirit being overwhelmed within him is there are things that have overtaken him and he is cloaked in darkness or shrouded in darkness. That's his condition. That may be your condition today. And as Peter said, I would say to you, think it not strange, trial, uh, the, the fiery trials which are sent to try you. Every one of us are different and God deals with us individually and we're at different steps in our lives individually and we all have different circumstances and perhaps you're right here today. You're overwhelmed. Some cloud of darkness has covered over your heart and your mind, your spirit. His heart is troubled. He said in verse number 4 also, my heart within me is desolate. This word means deserted. Strong says it means to stun or to grow numb. My heart is numb within me. One other definition of the word is to devastate. And some of you today may feel a sense of just pure devastation. Now, I would never think such a horrible thought of a preacher because we never have any problems. But there may be some of you brethren that minister and labor in the word of God and you're dealing with something that has just devastated and disappointed your heart 
And today your heart is troubled. And in the midst of all the joy and the worship and the grace that God's shown to us, yet there's still inward a gnawing it at your spirit and at your heart. And David is saying, I'm devastated. He goes on to say in verse 7, Hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit faileth. The word means to end or to cease, to perish. It's as though he's saying, I feel as though I am going down for the last time. I perish. Now God at times in the Word of God, I've thought of this before and I've gotten a lot of help myself from it. At times He's very merciful in withholding insight into what brings darkness to His people. Now, those of you who are already certain about what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, don't meet me at the back door and tell me I've got this figured out. God didn't reveal what his thorn in the flesh was. But what he did reveal is when he sought the Lord, God whispered sweet peace into his heart and told him that he had all sufficient grace for his needs. I've read words in the Bible where uh, simply the psalmist would say, my spirit is troubled within me. Help, Lord, he would say at other times. Sometimes we don't know what the problem is, and that's a good thing, because that means I'm not excluded from the help that they're given. If Paul were to say my thorn in the flesh was an apostolic problem, I would have to say, well, guess there's sufficient grace for apostles, but not lowly carpenters, Amen. But he gives sufficient grace. And thank God when he does withhold the nature of his saints' problems. And we can just simply read the ministering comforts that he gives unto them. But equal to that is the mercy of God revealing what brings the clouds into people's lives. And right here in our psalm, it is a short and a simple list of causes that have overwhelmed David. Often that's the way it is, isn't it? Something small, something singular in nature that has really disrupted our little apple cart. What were his problems? The long list of them are this. His thoughts have been inward and outward. Simply put. He's begun to look at himself and he's begun to look at others. The saint of God will begin to say words like this when he looks at himself. Enter not into judgment with thy servant. Why would we say such words like that when we know he has already judged his son on our behalf? We begin to look at all of our inward frailties, our inward problems, our failures, the evil that is still very present with us. Even though at times God works in us a holy will to do good, we yet find that it is hard to do it, isn't it? How to perform that which is good, Paul said, I find not. We begin to look inwardly. We begin to look at our own merits. We'll begin to wonder, can any man be justified with God? For in thy sight shall no man living be justified. Or to quote David in one of the penitent psalms as they are called, he said, If thou shouldest mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? When we begin to look upward instead of inward, we'll begin to rejoice with the psalmist and say, But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. 
And in the living side or the side of God, no living man can be justified. But thank God He doesn't see us. He sees our mediator and He sees our advocate. That's when we're looking upward. But when we're looking inward, we don't find a lot of peace and comfort at all. And I want to look at myself and my merits today. Spend enough time in my life doing that. I'd much rather fix my gaze upon higher and nobler things and a much more nobler person, the Lord Jesus. Amen. His thoughts have been outward. His enemies and their hands against Him. And surely if we begin to look at all the problems around us and the nature of our problems and all the vile wickedness going on in our world, we'll become very discouraged and shrouded in a cloud of darkness and I thank God we don't have to do that and may I just say I appreciate men getting up and just preaching the word of God and if I need the news I'll read the newspaper well do they even have those I'll turn on Fox News get the iPad out check out Apple News or whatever if I need to hear about all the problems of the world I can look there yeah But friend, when he said there is nothing new under the sun, certainly that would apply also to the problems in our government, in our country, and in our societies. These are things that have gone on before. I don't need to look outward. That's darkness. That's devastating. It's crushing to us. I need to look upward. And that's what our psalmist does here. This psalm is not, I'm a big baseball fan, Uh, uh, I know some of you know that, and if you don't, and I don't tell you, somebody else will tell on me, and uh, they they, they have what is called unwritten rules in baseball. Now there's a big push to do away with the unwritten rules. I'm kind of mean. I think if you steal third base in the eighth inning when your team's ahead by ten runs, that next hitter needs to take a fastball in the center of the back. Just the way I am. You don't bunt to break up a no-hitter in the eighth inning. Amen. I shouldn't amen that. The psalm does not give us an unwritten rule. But it gives us a written guarantee right here in this thought. You turn your attention from God, and even the children of light will find darkness. Those of us who have dwelled in darkness but have been translated into the light, into the kingdom of His dear Son, if we begin to turn our attention away from God, we will be just like those inwardly that go down to the pit. Fear of judgment will rear up its head. And I understand well what John meant when he said, Fear hath torment. Friend, God's people don't need to be a people going about in fear of judgment. Thank God there is blessed assurance Jesus is mine. But you take your eyes off of the Lord Jesus and you have turned away from everything that assures our soul. Darkness will creep in. Turn your eyes away from God and the impossibility of overcoming Your enemies, your difficulties, whatever it is, the impossibility of victory will overwhelm your spirit and make desolate the heart. And that is where our psalmist is. But again, this is a song of progression. He doesn't stay here. 
It's a song of progress. This brokenness lends itself to higher thoughts. And we find as we move on in the psalm that our author is no longer looking inward and there's a time when he ceases to look outward and he does begin to look upward. His heavy heart, his troubled heart turns to higher thoughts. It's as though somewhere in the recesses of his inner man, the scripture that had not even yet been written began to ring out. Gird up the loins of your mind. Brethren, if there be anything pure, if there be anything true, if there be anything just, think on these things, anything honest, anything of good report. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And He goes away from verse 4. Oh, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. Oh, my heart within me is desolate. To verse number 5, and He said, you know what? I'm going to remember some things. I remember the days of old. I want you to think about verse 5 just for a minute. It is an entire verse of contemplation. Every bit of verse 5 is an exercise of the heart and the mind that God has renewed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. And the word that got me looking into this psalm anyway is this one. I muse on the work of thy hands. I remember the past. Why should I walk in darkness? I can look all the way back and remember that there was a time when this whole ball was in darkness without form and void. Darkness upon the face of the deep. And the God that I know, yea, my God, spoke light into existence. Simply saying, let there be light. I wish Brother Matthew was here right now. I'd laugh a little bit with him. God can tell the light to shine out of darkness, but he can't let us breathe in outer space, said the writer. No. I look back and my God becomes big. I look back and I remember what I read of God and he becomes really large in my heart and in my mind. It is a fool who says in his heart there is not a God big enough to create all things in six days. It is amazing to me. Somebody said, you mean to tell me you believe that God is really able to create all that in six days? Six literal days? And really the only answer to that is no, our God's so big He could have done it just like that if He wanted to. He just chose to use six days to do it. I start remembering, remembering what I know of God from yesteryear, what I've read of God from yesteryear. Man, it can get me out of a dark place. The adversaries that war against us, both spiritual and physical. I look and I think, man, God had an angel of the Lord that went in and smote 185,000 Syrians in one night. I don't know if this is true or not, but I read in one book where God sent my sin amongst the Syrians because He had made the promise no arrow would be fired against the city. And I read where those mice were said to have chewed all the bowstrings off the bows of the Syrians. I don't know if that's true or not. I know if God's big enough to say, let there be light, He's big enough to tell the mouse to go and eat. That's a big God. 
It's a God who doesn't have to equip us with a sledgehammer and a jackhammer. But He can just say, walk quietly around the walls. And then you're going to see them fall. When I think about that, my enemies seem a whole lot less daunting to me. Particularly in the case of the psalmist right here. He can remember the day when he went out to battle in the name of the Lord against a champion of the Philistines. And he can say, you know what? These enemies have driven my heart and my spirit to darkness. But I'm going to remember what God's done for me in days gone by. I remember the past. Why should I walk in darkness? Why should I walk in fear? But you know we can't live in the past. I've received a lot of great things at the hand of God yesterday, but I'm here right now. I'm just as alive as I was yesterday. The longer I live, I'm pretty sure I'm probably more needy than I was yesterday. And so he says, I meditate on all thy works. Now he's shifted to the present. What are all his works? Well, I can't mention all of them. I don't have 60 points. But he begins to meditate on the present. And this is what he says in the first verse. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplication. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. What is God presently? What are His works presently? I may not be able to identify all of the fruit, but I know they are all rooted in faithfulness and righteousness. I can meditate on God. He is faithful. My problems change. My feelings change. My circumstances change. My friends change sometimes. And I was going to tell Brother Matthew the other day, I'm going to either start not liking him or I'm going to ask him to quit praying that. I wouldn't mind being his neighbor in heaven. I believe it would be a show. (laughs) What do we meditate on? We meditate on the faithfulness and righteousness of our God. But then he uses this word, I, I muse on the work of thy hands. Now, I've already used the past and the present. You probably think I'm getting ready to say the future. But I really think it even fits the uh, alliteration better to say, I believe the psalmist has got to looking at the personal work of God in his own life. I want you to think of the reality that we are just lumps. Lumps of clay, cold, lifeless clay. And God as a master potter has taken us and infused life into us. And He has put His hands all over our lives from beginning to end. I muse on the personal work of God. And that causes me to say in verse number 10, Thou art my God. He's remembering how personal God has been to him. It is as though he has gone from the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him, to a much more close to the heart question, who am I that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Who am I that you would justify me? Who am I that I should receive the promises of God? I love the word muse. Translated into the English, it's only found in three different forms 
or only three times in three different forms in her Bible. And I'm not going to the Hebrew or the Greek on that one. I'm not against that. should just clarify. But uh, the word muse or musing or mused is only found three times in her Bible. It's found in Psalm 39. It's found right here in Psalm 143. And it's also found in Luke chapter 3 when John the Baptist had come on the scene and all the men were listening to his message and looking at what God was doing to him and they were musing in their hearts. All men did muse as to whether he were the Christ or not. I love the word. We don't use it a whole lot, do we? I think I heard somebody say it in their prayers, Brother, Brother Pearson. And uh, it's only because I told him I was preaching on this. And I, Amen. But, uh, but to muse, to muse, what does that even mean? It is deep contemplation. And, and more often than not, we are intimately familiar with its antonym. Now, I'm not going to give you an English course today, but uh, words often have synonyms, those that mean the same thing. You preachers that look in the thesaurus, you know exactly what that is, and, and uh, they have antonyms, opposites. What is the opposite of the word muse? It is the word amuse. More often, this is what we practice. When you add the word A as a prefix, it doesn't always, but it tends to mean not or negative. Oftentimes, this is the case even of God's people. We're not musing, we're trying to amuse ourselves. You see it in the idea of a theist, one that believes in God or what is the opposite an atheist. A moral man, what is the opposite? An amoral man. Amusement is a thief, my brother. It steals our high thoughts of God. It downgrades our ideas of who He is. It causes us to cease contemplation about His work and His will in and for our lives. I kind of joke around sometimes and uh, there, there are certain aspects of carpentry that, uh, to be honest, most people don't like. They're uh, very menial jobs and they're very repetitious and one of those is sanding. People hate sanding. Now, I don't mind it as much with wood because unless you're using some 40 grit, you know, you can, you can control how fast you're taking stuff off. I hate sanding sheetrock. Amen. But when I'm doing woodworking and I'm sanding or I'm milling lumber, milling lumber, basically if you're doing much of it, I've done a bunch of it, is you're passing through the planer. Through the planer, pull it out, through the planer, flip it over, change the depth, through the planer. And I like to call that deadhead work. And I call it that because it's mindless. It doesn't require skill, it doesn't require thought. Brother Simpson, we could be listening to our favorite podcast about the Atlanta Braves and planing lumber and get it right. 
deadheading it. It's all out to deadhead it sometimes, okay? Every now and again, you better give this little thing a break or it's going to fry a fuse or two. But there's another instance where deadheading is used, and it is in the, in the uh, profession of truck driving. And I looked this up to make sure I was right on it, just in case we got any truck drivers in here. I heard you don't always want to mess with them guys. And, uh, but truck drivers, they say that they hate to deadhead. As a truck driver, what deadheading is, is this. You guys that have made the long trip out to Oklahoma from North Carolina or Georgia, it's to take a load and head west with it on I-40 or I-20, whatever the case may be, deliver it to its destination and have no other load to pick up before you head back the way that you came. It's to go back empty. It's either with an empty trailer or it's without a trailer at all depending on what the delivery was. You know why they hate it. They are not driving a truck because they want to be away from home. They're doing it to make money. And you're not making any money unless you're pulling something. It is a waste. It's very costly. Because while you're on that road and you're pulling an empty trailer, or you don't have a trailer at all, you're still wearing your tires out. You're still burning through diesel at a rate of six gallons or six miles a gallon. And uh, you still have all the normal wear and tear on everything. It is a waste, very costly. It's a lot easier. I've driven with a trailer before. Not a tractor trailer, but I've had a long trailer. And I'm going to tell you, you, you better pay more attention when you're pulling a 16-foot trailer. It's easier pulling the hills when you're deadheading. You don't have all the tonnage behind you that you're pulling. Much easier, but it is without profit. Now, brother and sister, when we refuse to engage our minds and we just go through life and go through our days, even go through our church services, and never deeply begin to contemplate upon God. It may be easy for the flesh, but it is entirely unprofitable for the soul. It is easy to go home. And I'm, I'm not going to blast you on this or anything. I don't have any use for social media myself. But I like being alone. I mean, it's, it's not, I really don't care what you guys are doing. I mean, <laughs> go do it and try not to grieve the Spirit of God while you're doing it. Yeah. And when we come back together, we'll worship the same God together, and that'll be all right. Yeah. If I want to go watch a baseball game, you can watch your social media, and you can preach against me, and I'll preach against you. <laughs> I just... But that is... Is that not becoming a real... Pitfall yeah. of our time. Yeah, sure is. It's not just the social media that I'm not guilty of. It's sports, all of those things. I like to deadhead it as much as anybody. Sure we do. I like to have a break from thinking. Brother Fulton, I like to just go kick it. It's a blessing. Brother Parker's here every year and, and uh, generally leads the singing in this meeting. I don't have to think about it. I come in, he leads the singing. I just sing along with him. 
And uh, Brother Brandon ran out of preachers, so he threw me up sometimes. I don't have to preach. Just come in and be fed, but I want to engage my mind while I'm thinking, while I'm listening, while I'm singing. To think deeply and highly of God. To muse upon God. And friend, when we begin to do that, we'll find just as the psalmist said in Psalm 39 and verse 3, while I was musing, the fire burned. Amen. When we think deeply and highly of our God, things will begin to happen on the inside of us. Man, the other night when we were worshiping God and God seemed to have about every one of us in a different stratosphere, we began to sing, I know that you don't know this, but I'm standing here singing, trying to hold it together, not weep and shout, and I'm looking at you, and I am musing upon God, thinking about what the scene in heaven is going to be like when we are singing together, and it is elevating my heart to intense and fervent worship. Old preacher of mine used to say this, engage your brains. Think about what you're singing. Or as the psalmist said, Selah, think upon it. Think about God. Intense worship is the result. Intense longings for more. Here is the result. Let me get this out. He reaches up. I muse upon the work of his hands. I think about God's hands being all over my life. And the very next thing we read is, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. I start thinking about God reaching down and there's something in me that wants to say, let me get a hold of you and never turn loose. Let me reach back up. I wish to lay hold and never let go. A divine and an intense thirst was then stirred up in the heart of the psalmist. He said, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. A divine and an intense thirst was stirred up when he contemplated with high thoughts upon his God as a thirsty land. What's a thirsty land? We've been through drought out here. It's a land with no growth. Man, we have people that depend upon cutting hay out here and when the land's thirsty in drought, there's no growth. Friend, without a thirst after God, there's no growth for us. Over in Wapanuka, we preach over there. I've been over there in the drought season and the land gets so dry it begins to crack with large cracks in it. I hope you won't mind me using a little funny application of that, but if you're not thirsting after God, you're going to crack up. It's a land in great danger of loss, as our brethren from the northwest could say. When it gets dry, the dry season out there, it's just a matter of time before wildfires spread and there's great loss. Little thoughts, little thirst. Much thoughts, much thirst. Much contemplation upon God. Much, much more consecration in our lives. Let me say this, and I'm about done. 
forgive me for being lengthy. Your works will never transcend your thoughts of God. You listening to me? You are never going to walk on a higher plane spiritually than your thoughts of God are. If you have a little walk, you're going to have, or a little God, you're going to have a pathetic walk. And equally and perhaps more important, for of the few things in the Bible that it is said that God seeks after one of those is true worshipers, worshipers that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And if you have small thoughts of God, your worship will not transcend, it will not rise above your thoughts of God. High thoughts of God equals holy desires. And we see this in the psalm, and if you'll give me just about two minutes, I'll finish this up. Holy desires. High thoughts of God lead us to holy desires. I was able to manipulate the songs today, tailor them to my message for once. Jesus paid it all. High thought of God. All to Him I owe. Holy desire of the heart. When I survey the wondrous cross, finishes with love so amazing, love so divine. High thoughts of God. Demands my life, my soul, my all. Holy desires. He leadeth me. Oh, blessed thought, high thought of God. And it leads to the holy desire of His faithful follower I would be. All holy desire leads to earnest seeking. In our psalm we see this. Thirst must be quenched. We understand it is so. Blessed is he that hungereth and thirsteth after righteousness, for he shall be filled. We understand what God said when He said, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. We understand it to be so when He said, Oh, everyone that thirsteth, let him come. Thirst must be quenched and can be. And in this psalm, we'll just finish just reading these. You'll see the cries of the thirsty. He's had high thoughts of God. And they have stirred up intense cravings for God in his heart. And then he begins to follow that up with a holy pursuit, holy desires. Verse 7, hear me speedily. Hear me. That's a holy thought. If we're saying hear me, it means we're calling out to him. It means we're praying. Hear me. Verse 8, don't just hear me. Cause me to hear you. Oh Lord, as you begin to stir up that desire for fellowship, let's commune with one another. Holy desire. Verse 8, cause me to know, to know the way. Cause me to know more of your loving kindness. That's a holy desire, isn't it? You want to know if you're thirsting after God? Run down this list of desires that we see prayed for. I don't see anything about feelings or ecstasy or excitement in here. There are all those things. Deliver me, verse 9. All of these things, just real short, quick prayers he's praying. Deliver me. 
Hide me, verse number 9. That's a holy desire, isn't it? Not just from my enemies, but that which wars against my soul. Deliver me, O God, from my iniquity. Verse 10, teach me. Wow, that's a holy desire, isn't it? Teach me. Disciple me. Verse 10 also says, lead me into the land of uprightness. Lead me. That is a holy desire, isn't it? The thirst after God will lead us to all these desires, won't it? Verse 11, quicken me, O Lord. Oh God, don't let me be dead spiritually. Revive me. Quicken me. Refresh me. And then lastly, he closes out the psalm with these words, for I am thy servant. Use me. Here I am. Use me. Talking about high thoughts and holy desires. God help us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the patience of your people. I pray you'll bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Help us throughout, not just today, but every day of our lives as we walk with the Lord to pursue this, to pursue those high thoughts and holy desires. And uh, he's told us how we can do that.